Why is it so hard to listen to our inner voice? And what role does our body have in helping us to do that? I talk about all of this and more with Kathy Bell in today's episode. You're listening to Quietly Ambitious with conversations about how it really feels to build a business that honors your whole self unapologetically. And that includes who you are, how you feel, what you really desire, the impact that you want to create, and importantly, the money you want to make. I'm your host, Ruth Poundwhite, and my superpower is supporting sensitive and ambitious humans to make more money by fully expressing and owning all of who they are. Let's dive in. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Quietly Ambitious podcast. Today, I am chatting with experienced breathwork facilitator, business mentor, and published author, Kathy Bell, all about listening to our inner voice, why that's hard, and what it takes to get through the layers of the gunk that are in the way of doing it. Kathy's love language is to hold loving, clear, and expansive spaces for you to integrate your soul's essence into your human reality, whilst supporting and encouraging you to step fully into the work that you came here to do. As a highly sensitive empath on her own journey, Kathy embraces spending time in nature, adventuring, wild water swimming, and observing the cycles of Mother Earth, which we talk about in today's episode. Also in today's episode, we talk about the work it takes to unlearn, what we need to unlearn to really hold space for ourselves and for our clients, the importance of tuning into the intelligence of the body and how breath work helps with that, and the importance of ritual and connecting with nature. I think you're going to love this episode. Enjoy. So can we start by talking about why is it hard? Why do you think it's hard for sensitive people to listen to to tune into their own inner voice Mm, I think well mm, such a great question if we go back to childhood I think a lot of sensitive people in childhood would you know would have immediately been picking up on everybody else's stuff and often don't know how you this how you would find this but I feel like there's usually one person in the family who is sensitive mm. and they're almost the the somebody I think it's um I forget the person's name where I saw this from but they're the transitional character in the family and they often run the energy of everybody else like you know they mm-hmm. before they realize that their sensitivity and their role in the family has anything to do with you know, changing the family dynamics. So what I'm trying to say here is that we, you know, as children, we're we're sensitive and we immediately start to run the family's energy through our system, through our body. Mm -hmm. I know for me as, you know, as a sensitive child, I was an only child, you know, and my parents divorced when I was young. Um, I had a stepdad. So it's, it's still, our house was very quiet but I was running a lot of emotional energy of my, you know, like my mother, my, you know, like my stepdad through my system. And I took on beliefs and um, energy, I think. I think because we all take on beliefs from our parents. Of course we do. But I think I took on a lot of energy from the emotional situation of, of 
some of my childhood and some of our family dynamic and felt that instead of feeling me and feeling inside me, feeling my own feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So especially at school, I used to find this, um, I would feel a certain way and not know why but I was feeling the collective class energy. So it might be excitement because we were excited about doing something or it might be fear because we were, you know, we were being tested or having a test or something like that. And I would feel everybody else's emotions. And, and that often is conflicting because I think you can think a certain way. You're like, oh, I really like doing the school play. But then there being other people in the class who hate doing the school play. So you having this conflict of emotions going on inside you. Um, and yeah, I think that is the first place that I come to when you ask that question. Mm, yeah, I can relate to a lot of that. The feeling a certain way and not knowing why is like mm. a big one. <laughs> I think that it can go in different directions when we have that experience as a child. And for me, my like, I think thinking my feelings were too much for other people or sensing that my feelings were too much for other people mm. learned me learned me taught me to <laughs> shut them down to compartmentalize them to like put them in a different part of my head and leave them and that was my experience for a long time I'm curious if you have experienced the same thing or if yours went in another direction and I also am aware like we've gone straight in with a deep question here I haven't haven't <laughs> described what it means to be a sensitive human so I just want to say to everyone listening like there's other episodes where we do talk about what it means to be a sensitive human but if you relate to anything that Kathy has just said then you are in the right place so just go mm, with it and this is, this is the good stuff so yeah do you relate to that or did has it been different for you something that my emotions were too much for people um do you know, the first thing that comes to mind when you were speaking was knowing that people weren't telling the truth so mm. you know like the adult would be like yes everything's fine everything's absolutely fine you don't need to and then actually feeling this like anxiety and swirl of emotion and having that um what's the word I want to say disparity is that the word mm -hmm. things don't quite match up mm. um so that you know the behavior of the adult and the yet the way that they were actually feeling which I was feeling but as a child you don't realize that wasn't matching up so something just fell off so it was like I don't know if I trust you but is that because there's something wrong with me I should trust you you're an adult and you know what you're doing but so it's, it, it, I think that was the thing that planted the seed to start me to mistrust how I was feeling. Um, yeah. I've always been very emotional and always been very open with my emotions. Um, I think, and yeah, yeah, I think my emotions, I don't think they were too much for people, but my because I was an only child, my mum came from a farming background. She'd got two older brothers and a younger sister. Um, I think she, she, she says, I don't think she says to me often, like I try, you know, I tried, always tried to toughen you up. And I was like, like laugh at this because she never could have toughened me up, even if she tried. But mm -hmm. I think that kind of, it's not that my emotions couldn't be handled by other people that they were shut down because they were a sign of weakness 
you know, like me being emotional and crying um, or getting upset or being worried or being anxious was, was seen as, oh, Kathy's not strong. Kathy needs to be toughened up. Kathy needs to be prepared for this hard work. She's an only child. Look at this poor little waif of a thing. She needs, you know, to be stronger. So the emotions weren't valued. Um, yeah, the emotional expression wasn't seen in a positive way. It was seen in a negative way, which I think impacted that side. Mm. Yeah, I love that. How does this play out for you? Because we were just talking before we hit record about you parenting a sensitive mm. child. Like, how does it mm. play out for you in your parenting and mm. valuing those emotions and navigating them yourself as a sensitive person? Yeah, I mean, do you know what? Now I'm going to answer this question backwards. As a still as a sensitive person who has done an absolutely huge amount of breath work. <laughs> <laughs> honestly there's not as many tears as they used to be like I will still feel that wave of emotion still I will still cry of course but the actual you know full-on uncontrollable sobbing tears just aren't there as much as they used to be going into so my daughter's 10 now and I love um yeah we I should have said this off camera but I'm loving that this like seeing you now step into this world of like <laughs> <laughs> like primary school and yes. phonics and all of that <laughs> stuff like yeah for me only have you know like having one child see I'm getting emotional having one child who you know just yeah just love getting to see you do this for the first time and probably the only time I don't yeah. know you may have more children but um it's just really beautiful and yeah I I noticed early on that she was a little bit more sensitive um, I used to call her the observer or the watcher <laughs> because she would, you know, sit and observe like while all the other kids were kind of like tearing around trying to, you know, get as much stuff as they could. She would sit and observe. She would sit and watch. So I already knew that she had that, that quality, that quieter quality to her mm. that was, um, it was different from other children. And I mean, I've got a photo, actually. I sometimes bring it out every Halloween <laughs> to help the sensitive children out there. I've got a photo of her at Halloween. She must have been maybe, I think she was three, two or three, and she's in a witch's costume, and she stood in front of the mirror, and she's crying her eyes out. And it's because she hated the the itchy, scratchy feeling mm -hmm. of, the, yeah. of the costume against her skin. like. And, you know, anyone who has got, a child who hates dressing up unless it's you know like a I mean, she used to the, it's so funny she used to dress up when she dressed up as frozen was very big when she was little so when she dressed up as frozen she would she had an Olaf costume because she wouldn't dress up as the, not because she didn't want to dress up as a girl yeah. because yeah. the girl costumes were itchy and horrible and yeah. um when she you know so yeah anytime she dressed up so it's uh I knew quite early on and then playing out in my parenting it was very much this feeling of I didn't want her to feel the way I felt as a child and I wanted to um I know that my mum trying to toughen me up didn't work and probably did more um I can't say damage because that's awful because we all do our best as parents yeah yeah but it, it did you know didn't it didn't achieve what she wanted it mm -hmm. to achieve. It didn't toughen me up. It made me feel crap. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to do things a little bit differently. 
And I would see, you know, when you've got young children, um, you know, you see other young children, you see other parents parenting children who may be sensitive, may or may not be sensitive. And, you know, I would see them getting frustrated with their children. I would see them, you know, shushing the children or not allowing them to express their emotions. And, you know, it would break my heart because I was like, that's, you think the same as my mum thinks, you know, you Mm -hmm. think that by by not letting them to express their emotions, you're going to somehow toughen them up and they'll, you know. And and so what really came through me at that time was this um, idea that like feeling, well, first of all, your sensitivity is your superpower, but also that, that, that feeling, feeling emotional and being emotional is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. Mm. Um, and so I yeah I kind of danced with that in my parenting and in my work at the time um and allowed my daughter to feel her feelings like it was very you know from very early on it's okay to be emotional it's okay to cry it's okay to feel upset I understand why you feel this way I understand how hard it is to get the socks to fit on your feet in the right way so that the thing on the end of the toe that is a thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) the sock thing is such a big thing so the toe you know so the you know, not tights, you know, I, go, you, yeah. you won't have this, but tights. Like, I have it with you myself. You have it, but you won't yeah. have it with Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Getting the tights to be normal because they're not made for feet. No. They're just like a oh, shoe, aren't they? Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a whole vibe. I really enjoyed it. And, yeah. you know, now you, I, you wouldn't know that she's sensitive. Like, I don't think you would know that she's mm. sensitive. Like, she's so strong. She knows what she um what she needs like she knows she will she knows she needs quiet time she knows she needs peace and quiet she knows she all of that's okay she knows she doesn't need to be online with her friends 24 7 and she knows how to take care of herself um because I think you know I've taught her that but also she's I've never you know never tried to make her feel wrong for feeling the way that she feels yes that's it Never making her feel wrong for feeling the way she feels. Yeah. And I swear to you, I did not know I needed quiet time until I can't even like late 20s, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Seriously. Yeah. I didn't know. No. It was obviously, it was obvious looking back yeah. in hindsight. But you, you, um, yeah, once you figure out these things about yourself, your whole mm. history of your life can change. Like, actually, you know, I wasn't wrong for that. I wasn't wrong for that. And, um, it just when you were talking, it really reminded me of reading Glennon Doyle's book Untamed. Mm. And she talk, she is a sensitive person. She has a sensitive child. Um, and and just she's I can't, I'm not gonna do it justice by like, you know, <laughs> say summarizing what she said, but basically we need the sensitive people in the world. We need the ones who really care in the world. And yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a gift, not yeah. just, it's a gift to the world. And I like also what you said about your daughter and like, you wouldn't even know that she was sensitive now. And like, like that's a really good point to make as well. Like it doesn't look one specific way and you can be sensitive and strong mm. and be sensitive and, you know, boundaried mm. in what you yeah, need. Firm or, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Sassy, you know, like yeah. you be sensitive and sassy. Yeah. Like, like absolutely. Um, something came to me then it's completely gone again but (laughs) see if it comes up see if it comes back but where I what I'm thinking is like what does it take for you so 
parents or not listening to this I think mm-hmm. we all know I mean literally what I just said like I didn't even know I needed quiet time until late 20s I didn't know what introvert was until I was 25 it's like what does it take for you to to do the work to not make yourself wrong for your own feelings in order to hold that space for your child or hold that space for your clients Mm, yeah or yeah for yourself I mean it's come back to me now what I was going to say was that when I went to university I couldn't understand my my friend at university used to call me the bit like why are you such a baby (laughs) because I would because you know university life you're constantly up down with people it's like we're going out we're going here and I couldn't I just (laughs) Because I, you know, spent my entire life at home on my, not at home on my own. Of course, yeah, yeah. I'd socialize and then I'd come home and my house was quiet. There was yes. nothing. Yeah. It was nobody other, you know, there was my mom, my stepdad, and that was it. Um, so that was what I was going to say. But coming on to um, the work and the question that you just asked, which now has flown out of my um, the work, it, the work required the work of that, you to hold this space for your daughter. Yes. Well, hold your space for yourself. Yes. Hold this space for your daughter and then also holding space for your clients because this mm-hmm. is a big part of the work you do. And we will get on to like mm. the breath work and everything mm-hmm. and the holding space as well. Mm. But yeah, so what, what does it take for you to unlearn what you need to unlearn, to decondition, to honor your own feelings in yeah. order to do that for yourself and others? So many questions in there. And it's a good I know, I know. Keeping, keeping track. So I'm yeah. going <laughs> to hop around here. So the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was compassion, like self-compassion. Mm-hmm. I am already, there's a, at the time of recording this, we're just about to head into the eclipse portal. I'm already starting to feel anxious, mm-hmm. like an uneasy, I'm not anxious. because I, you know, but I'm already feeling like I'm caffeinated 24 hours a day. Like mm-hmm. there's that kind of like, oh, I'm on alert. And, you know, I had to just have a minute with myself earlier but before I came on this call and was like, this, it's okay to feel this way. Mm-hmm. You're not losing your mind. There's nothing wrong. It's going to pass. Everything's okay. You know, just because I'm feeling collective energy doesn't mean that I've done something wrong. Um, I think, so first of all, compassion. Um, when we're talking about deconditioning, I think I when I first learned about being sensitive through Elaine Aaron. So that book came into my life, a highly sensitive person. I also found Heidi Sawyer who talks about intuitive, sensitive people. I really loved her book. Um, And that made a lot of sense to me also, but they, but I I feel like there was this conditioning or I, I don't know if I picked it up from, from those particular authors or whether it was, preconceptions but I picked up a lot of what I think now to be um ideas that are just simply wrong and unhelpful for sensitive people so for example I mean I've even said it in this call like absorbing other people's energy and so when we find that we've done that or feel a certain way and not and don't understand why we can berate ourselves and feel almost like a victim oh this is this is the thing that happens because I'm sensitive oh Mm. god it doesn't Mm. happen to other people and you can start to feel a little bit like a victim that's the one thing that you need to that I really helped me to decondition um 
yeah feeling a victim of sensitivity actually I'm just going to use that as an umbrella term yeah um and seeing it more as a curse so what I did there was a shift and it came from a mentor that I had a long time ago called Madeline Giles and she is the one who introduced me to breath work but she said something to me around owning my own energy and no one being able to take that from me and that was such a huge shift you know when everything changes like a life-changing moment like the moment I found out there was things there was a thing called highly sensitive yeah that also changed life but when she said that to me I was like holy shit because I have up until this point believed that I'm at the I'm a victim of of large crowds I'm the victim of other people's energy I'm Um, And it just wasn't true. So the biggest paradigm shift for me around this has been that being sovereign in my own energy and owning that and being the conscious custodian of my energy. So nobody can take it from me. It's also, it's never, it's, it's unlimited. Like my energy is unlimited. My capacity to feel is unlimited. My, um, you know, the love that I have is unlimited. So nobody can take it from me and I choose I can certainly feel as though somebody might be trying to infiltrate my my field yeah but I also get to choose whether I say "Mm, no thank you not today this is mine this is my space this is my energy this is my you know this is my like physical boundary like this is my space you know and no you can't come in And so going to things like, you know, going to supermarkets or going to the shops or, you know, a shopping centre or even a gig, for example, just being like, wow, there's a lot of people here. Okay, well, it's okay because I own my energy. I'm the custodian of my energy. No one can take it from me. And I'm, you know, I'm rooted. I'm I'm grounded. I'm strong. And this is my container. And I'm protected. Um, So that was really huge in allowing me to do energy work because that hadn't landed for me when I first started energy work because I started out doing EFT with people and I would have crystals everywhere have them in my bra have them in my pants I wouldn't really (laughs) I would have them on the table I would be like saging everywhere and afterwards and people you know people coming in I used to do sessions at my home And I would just feel so exhausted because I believed that they were taking something from me and that because I maybe felt, you know, they might have told me their story or told me about something because I felt it, I would believe that I would take it on. And it was all very messy. Like the energy of it was all very messy. And um, yeah, I I stopped. You know, I stopped doing that healing work and stopped even using EFT as a modality, actually, because it was all surrounded by that, um, that that belief that I could be drained. My energy could be drained by somebody else because I was sensitive. Mm. Yeah, this really resonates with me. And I certainly I really I know that it seems a bit like blunt to say it, but like feeling the victim of your own sensitivity. I definitely feel like that. And like, why is it so hard for me? And it was just easy for other people. Like, yeah, uh, take so much from me in, in my business to like show up and go live and talk yeah. and all of this stuff. And I think what 
what the most important part, like you started off by saying it's about self-compassion. And I think this is where the two things go together. Like Mm. we're not, we show ourselves compassion for feeling the way that we feel. And we, we take responsibility for ourselves and our energy as sovereign beings at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Both together. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. It's not about berating ourselves. It's not about, you know, swinging either way. Like it's everyone else's fault or it's my fault. It's no one's fault. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. And we take responsibility with compassion at the same time. So, yeah, I think that's so important. And I think a lot of people will resonate with that for sure. Um, I would love to hear. So you start, you, you said that you took on a lot of energy with the previous work that you did before you'd learned this and then, and then you kind of figured out you had this shift that changed everything. Is that when you started doing breath work? Were you already doing breath work then? I'd love yeah, to talk no, a bit more about the breath work and the role that that has played in helping you connect more with yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it was all around about the same time. So I was mm. doing breath work because it was Madeline that Madeline that introduced yeah. me to breath work. I was I was working with her whether it was in a group or one to one. I can't remember when she exactly said that, but yeah, it was all around about the same time. And it was definitely a reclamation of my own energy. So I was able to, through breath, clear lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes of other people's gunk mm. and lies and you know myths and truths, untruths that I'd bought into um, to feel my own self. To to I think it was. I think I'd probably spent, I mean, how old? I would have been like 27, 28 when I I came into my life. No, I couldn't have been that young. I was like around my early 30s, let's say, when it came into my life. And I would have spent every moment up until that point disconnected from my body Um, because it simply just wasn't a great place to be because it was full of pain and sadness and emotions that weren't accepted or loved. And, you know, like it was just not a place to be. And yeah, breath work was that port, that gateway into being in my body. And I was finally able to feel what it felt like to be the inhabitant of this like vehicle um to feel my own feelings like what I loved you know Madeline would ask Mm -hmm. beautiful questions which you know she heavily influences the work that I do now she would you know just ask such beautiful questions you know to help me to reconnect back to my heart um she helped me to find a breath work helped me to find the answers to all the questions within you know the questions that we often look outside for you know in that breathwork space, I was able to find them from inside myself. And immediately I knew that my, those answers were coming from, from me because they, of the way they felt. I think that's another thing about breathwork and sensitive people. You're like, it's like your feelings on steroids. It's like, I know that to be true because I can feel it in my body. Mm. Like that, when I go, oh, what should I, you know, what, what do I think about such and such? And, you know, somebody else's voice will come into my head and it just feels, you know, null, like in the body. Whereas if I asked myself that question, I knew it to be true because it was like, it was fizzy inside of me. I could Mm. feel that that was me rather than leaning on, leaning on or into other people's ideas, beliefs, and thoughts. Yeah. 
Yeah. In my experience, there's a difference between doing something like breath work where it's like active, your mind, yeah, I don't know, you need to describe, maybe you should describe <laughs> what it is or I get it wrong, but like the difference between that and, the, and just sitting and thinking about stuff. Like I can sit and think oh. about stuff and sometimes I can have a very clear knowing, like, don't get mm. me wrong. I do have a clear knowing sitting and thinking about stuff or journaling, but mm. sometimes it's hard to reach that because the gunk is still there and it's very it, it you can't see it sometimes you think it's clear and it's not clear and then so what I'm getting at is there's a difference between that and then being in your body and then getting the knowing like mm-hmm. there is a difference for me both are like valid but sometimes I need the extra layer but yeah maybe you can just explain for those who are listening because I do breath at work with you mm-hmm. and it's been really supportive for me as a sensitive person who learned to shut down her feelings mm. um in helping me to connect with them and also make sense of them sometimes because I often have a feeling and I don't know what it is mm. um so can you just describe for anyone who is new to it really briefly what it is or what it's for really really briefly <laughs> uh I'll try my best so breath works and it's an active meditation like you said so it is it's a form of pranayama, so it's a form of, of breathing. Um, but you are laid down. It's it's kind of, it's it's active, but it's quite passive at the same time because you're in a relaxed yeah. position, right? But you are actually physically doing work because it the breath. It's in it's an act. Yeah, it's an <laughs> active breathing. It's an active breathing technique, and that has gusto behind it. That has it has the intent. The in you know the the reason behind that is to oxygenate the system. So we're bringing a lot of oxygen into the body to help highlight where the blocks are in our energy. So where the emotional blocks may be for people who don't like to use to use the word blocks. I'm just using that as a, as a sweeping broad stroke statement because there's so many words and yeah, as you said, like there are, we think that we are just this mind we think that we are just the brain and that if I think about something long enough, the solution will come to me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah, if I think about it, I try and strategize it or bring it all up here. Whereas I think, I don't know what percentage to say that the mind is, but the actual intelligence of the body is far greater than just what we can, what we can achieve within, with our minds. Um, the intelligence of the breath and the body are just mind-blowing sometimes and it's it helps you the breath work that I share helps you get into a space and and a state of consciousness where we tap into that other part of you that other intelligence so things yeah do just become clear you know things that you've thought about for for months about you know or even years can suddenly just be like I, I've just seen this in a whole new light and that's completely changed my world. Um, it, yeah, it brings you this, again, there's different elements. Every session is always so different, but it can bring you into your body again, like we've said, to help you feel what it feels like to be you. Yeah. It mm-hmm. can clear, help you clear and feel emotions that you've suppressed or been too afraid to feel or didn't even know they were there. So sometimes something can come out of absolute nowhere and, and it's expressed through the session or during the session. Um, I know you've had, and I've also had this often, it's one of my favourite things about breathwork, is that downloading of mm-hmm. 
the course or in my you know my experience my first one was like the book it was like so clear when it's you know a brand new incredible idea just comes into your mind halfway through a breathwork session and yeah and it's like you do this you do this you do this you do this boom done and you you come out with so much confidence in the offer because you know that it is that is the thing because you felt it and it came from no it didn't come from you thinking about it it just boom came in and that was it um so I'm getting all excited even the lack the lack of not lack of but like the removal of thinking overthinking about it is what allows it to come for sure yeah. The, yeah the relaxation definitely so we shift consciousness so a lot of the time we're in beta brain waves and that's you know thinking doing you know being and as soon as we can move a little bit deeper especially into like alpha frequency and beyond um you know some people do fall asleep um do go into delta you're like really deep um, what's the other one? Theta, Delta, and then the other one. I know I did learn about this in my own training, but I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> then the other one's like where is the other one's kind of more like I don't think of it, but yeah. So just shifting that state of consciousness is yeah. is is sometimes the thing that can be the thing to help you get that creative solution, you know, receive that idea. Um, but of course, you know, as we've said, it's the that emotional side. It's the trauma release. It's the emotion release. It's the um, you know, that's spe- one of my teachers says, Erin Telford says, it's like a space to have an adult temper tantrum. Mm. You know, as adults, we're just so conditioned to always, you know, just be very level-headed and, and not, you know, not have outbursts. And it's not very grown up, is it, to have a, ta- you know, have a have a bit of a temp- temper tantrum or yeah. how, you know, like do your emotions. That's but interesting. Like, well, where do you do them? Like, yeah. if you can't go and scream in the woods, where are you going to scream? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where are you going to have that? And I think as adults, we get stuck in that um, space where we hold on to those emotions because it's not grown up to have emotions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know this from working with me, but sometimes I will resist like mad and, mm-hmm. and won't let it out. And you'll like yeah. give me some sort of permission or cue. And then maybe I'll let it out, maybe I won't. But <laughs> just think about the anger thing. Like my husband did one of the sessions that you did for my yeah, group. He did it yeah. with me. And he said it really brought up like anger for him, like repressed anger. And it's really, really interesting. Yeah. And everything is, it's it's always different. Um, but for me, I, I just feel like it's important to say, like for me as an anxious person, there mm. are times when there is almost nothing that I can do to mm. get out of a an anxious phase sometimes it's sometimes it's a sense of anxiety which is not nice but it's not tied to any specific thoughts sometimes it's specific like intrusive thoughts there is almost nothing I can do sleeping and then hoping it's gone away the next day is one thing intense exercise maybe a breath work honestly mm. I swear to you like it's and and I was actually quite nervous about doing breath work because of the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I know that maybe some people who had panic attacks, maybe it might be triggering, triggering for them to like, because it's basically hyperventilating. Yeah. The right? hyperventilate. Yeah. Well, it, it's not hyperventilate, but it can, it can be, see, <laughs> My it can lay be person. felt yeah. as, yeah, it can be yeah. felt as hyperventilating. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. for me, because I was nervous going in and actually it's turned out it's a very good tool for me. Mm that so I kind of I just I just felt like bringing that up in case anyone has the mm. same kind of apprehension around it for me it's actually very helpful that it's an active thing 
I resist it because I don't want to make the effort to do it. <laughs> it always feels good afterwards, but it's actually quite helpful that it's an active thing rather than a passive. I'm not just lying there doing mm-hmm. nothing because that's actually where my anxiety can, mm. can like come in, yeah. kick in when I when I, there's nothing. Yeah, or so, the yeah. busy the, or the busy mind, like yeah. the, like you said, the, those thoughts. Um, yeah, and I think the, the stronger they are, the easier it is to resist, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why that's the beauty of it because you can meet the practice in any state and have an experience. Whether it's I always say that whether it's you know like a one percent shift in how you're feeling compared to a you know a hundred percent shift in how you're feeling, like each whether it's 100 or 1, it's just as valid and it's just as, um, you might not see that in your brain as um, equal in quite, <laughs> like, what well, I'm really going to put all this effort in, I'm just going to feel 1% yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That might not be, to your logical brain, the most, um, yeah, the most sensible idea, but it is, I personally think it's always worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's that has definitely been my experience of doing it so many times with you now. Like sometimes it's a massive shift, sometimes it's very small, but mm. it's always a shift. And I was reflecting with you, like in the voice notes the other day, about how like this year I've really connected so much more with my feelings. And I do think breathwork is a massive part of that. Mm. So much other stuff I've done is a part of it, but there's only so far like like the therapy I did and all the talking and all of that, very, very important. Um, but the connection with my body and like my felt sense is huge like Mm. is huge in this journey um just to like move on a little bit from that because I know breathwork is your thing and like Mm -hmm. you don't just hold the space for other people like you practice what you preach and Mm -hmm. that's huge for you as well but I I would love to know a little bit more because I just see you like on Instagram and and I love like the rituals like you're literally encouraging me to like dry my old roses and save them <laughs> and use it and I just love all of this so I would love to know the importance of like rituals connection to nature connection to the moon cycles and the role that that plays in you connecting with yourself and holding mm. space for your clients as well mm. yeah absolutely and Oh, such a special part of life. I think it's just so delicious. Yeah. Like the simple things. I mean, oh God, you just made, I'm like, now I just desperately to go out and buy some roses. I'm definitely mm-hmm. a summer flower person. As soon as it gets to winter, I'm like, or autumn. I'm like, yeah, stop buying them. I'm like, why? Yeah. yeah I don't same. know if it's just a seasonal <laughs> thing. So yeah. Um, but what I mean. Hmm. I think it is just a really creating altars, create, making things pretty has always been, you know, aesthetically pleasing to the eye has always been a joy of mine, um, a way of expressing myself. I think all humans, whether they're sensitive or not, have creativity flowing through them. and creating altars doing beautiful things with flowers you know honoring nature I mean nature's a completely separate a different thing here but I tend to weave nature into that is just one of the most simplest and beautiful things that you can do not only with your time but for yourself like I just think it's just makes me feel good 
you know, like, I mean, I have my little, you can't see it, but I have like a little setup and there's a little setup behind mm-hmm. me and just making those spaces just make, just makes me feel good. So various teachers of mine have, you know, been influential in like altar settings and honoring nature, probably Rebecca Campbell the most, but also I've got a, another mentor called Deva Wild, who's also, and then Madeline was very, very, very um, deep into, you know, honoring nature and herbs and herbal medicine and just the whole relationship to earth. Mm-hmm. She's the one who introduced me to something called Earth's Pace. Like we're always trying to move at such a pace. Yeah. When actually if we can attune to earth's pace and just notice and reflect how slow nature moves, but everything still gets done, you know, like how, how long it actually takes the leaves to all fall off the trees. Yeah. Cause you can go walking now and the beach, you know, the birch trees, you know, not the bird, the beach trees will be like, they would just shed leaves all from what seems like all year. Like, you know, there's always those orange on the floor in the woods that I walk in. But, you know, people go, oh, it's autumn. Oh, that means all the leaves are going to fall off trees. Oh, that means it's winter. And do we ever truly slow down enough to notice actually like day by day, week by week, the process of the seasons changing so slowly? Mm. Um, because that presence, I think that's what it brings in, actually, just thinking about that, the presence that that brings to your life because none of this is achievable. Like the work that I do, the work that you do, that, you know, the work that your people listening to this, you know, podcast, parenting, none of it matters if you're not in the present. Like none of it works without being present with what, what is. Um, and so, and for somebody who has always been 10 steps ahead, of the day that it is of the time Mm -hmm. that it is like I know you'll relate to this because we're we're similar in this way that we're you know we're always like what's next what do I do next how do I get in the future in the future in the future which is what creates anxiety living in the future is you know is what creates anxiety is one of the reasons that we, we we feel anxiety is that we're not in the present moment so setting altars and being attuned to nature and having um like daily rituals is is a way of bringing us into the present moment and when we're in the present moment then the spiritual aspect that we're actually a little not a little bit more attuned to that sounds bad but that that we can maybe feel and and bring in a little bit more easier because of the way that our circuitry is wired because of the way that our energetic being is just shows up it just shows up and I know you have that your journaling practice and that's probably one of your rituals and I just wanted to say about journaling um like isn't it interesting how journaling can be so beautiful because it almost for me I know when I get into it it almost feels like another power takes over the pen yeah and I start to channel like it's like I will ask myself I'd never thought of this before again it was Madeline I think um it was like write a letter to God and she she would use the word God but you know write a letter to the universe and and or ask a question to the universe and then wait for the reply to come through yeah yeah and you're like 
at first you're like what the hell yeah but then actually you're like oh yeah there's a there's a there's whether you say it's the intuition whether you say it's you know being an, an energy channeling through you there's definitely a, um, a a gateway that can be opened up with the universe or with your intuition and yourself through pen and paper which I just find yeah yeah absolutely that's been my practice for a while now this sort of channeling journaling and blows my mind well firstly I can think I know what I'm going to write I have a question and I think I know what the answer you know I have it in my head I'm gonna and then I start writing and something different comes out and then the other thing and this really came up when you were talking about like the power of ritual and connecting with nature and noticing how slow nature is and stuff Mm -hmm. I have an idea because I think I know what I'm going to write that I won't bother to do it in the first place and it blows my mind how deep the conditioning runs that this idea of everything I do has to be productive and then I avoid doing the things that make me feel good that actually can open me up to a different way of looking at things literally yesterday in my journal what came out of my pen was just get inspired but for no reason like the inspiration Mm -hmm. doesn't have to um lead to anything it doesn't have to give me any ideas it's just inspiration for inspiration's Mm -hmm. sake and that's kind of what we're talking about so yeah it's really really interesting and I just remind myself constantly how deep this conditioning runs of like everything has to be productive everything has to have a reason everything has to lead to something and it's Mm -hmm. like no I can do it just because I want to do it Mm. I can do it out of curiosity or whatever so yeah, yeah. I love that answer thank you thank you I'm gonna have to wrap things up because we could talk all day about this <laughs> but I'm just gonna ask you mm-hmm. oh in the because with all the guests I ask you beforehand like what you might want to talk about and I ask all the guests for a question that you might ask me or you might ask the audience and I just we haven't really talked about this but it's so linked to what we were talking about earlier especially with accepting your feelings as valid as mm. a sensitive person but Kathy's question that you wrote on the form was what if you weren't so hard on yourself and mm. I, so I just wanted to share that before we finish maybe people can take that as a journaling prompt or have a yes. you know meditate on it whatever you want to do no, with what it. if I wasn't so yeah. hard on myself but it's that a was good question such a good question <laughs> such a good question yeah so mm. One more question before we finish. This is from my random deck of conversation questions. Yeah. When was the last time you cried and why? <laughs> so it's so funny. I mean, I'm going to get emotional about it now, but it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, so my daughter at the minute is away on a school trip. So they're away for a week. And oh my God, it's so ridiculous, but it could literally could blow my eyes out. Um, this is the wave of emotion. And she loves, I don't know if you've ever watched the program, Saving Lives at Sea. She loves the sea. She's a really strong swimmer. She swims all the time. Um, And she loves, we love to watch as a family. There's very few things we can watch as a family because me and my husband like, you know, growing up stuff. And she's a bit of a scaredy cat. So there's very few things we can watch. So Saving Lives at Sea is one of those things. They're volunteers and we just have such admiration for how they risk their lives to save mm. other people. Anyway, so she's in, she's on her school trip and I look on the blog. I see that they've been to the RNLI station in Whitby and met a volunteer and one of the teachers, you know, tried all the kit, kit like the gear on and the kit on. And yeah, I just got this wave of emotion. Not, I don't I mean, sometimes she said, you know, I want to be a swimmer. And other times she says, 
I want to be an interior designer. Another time she said, if we live by the beach, I'd, I'd do that. If we lived on a seaside, in a seaside town, mommy, I would do that. Um, so just that swell in my heart that she's been to an RNLI station and that she's seen, it's ridiculous, I'm crying now, but just the swell in my heart that she's been given that opportunity and, like, I'm so grateful that the school have done that. So it's like, when was the last time I cried? Right now, about telling the story about <laughs> yeah. why I cried. Yeah. <laughs> How embarrassing. There it's not, it's, you're being open and honest with your feelings Cassie. yeah it's it everything is. I'm not talking sorry about. I'm not sorry but yeah just mm-hmm. the the joy and the happiness in my heart that she's had that experience I just know that she will have just been inspired yeah. you know she's you know she will have got to experience real life um something that you know she's only ever seen on tv and yeah. I don't know why that makes me emotional, but it makes me emotional. I just feel just like my heart is like, oh, she's had amazing time. Or she will have had one, at least one amazing memory that may have inspired her to do something amazing. Yeah, for sure. I get it. I get Mm. it. Oh, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for coming on and sharing. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I loved it. And if you want to find out more about Kathy and her work, you can find her on Instagram at kathy.bell underscore or visit her website kathybell.uk to find out about her offers and her group breathwork sessions. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Quietly Ambitious. If you have a moment to rate and review, know that it really does make a difference. And if you'd like to carry on the conversation, then you can connect with me on Instagram at Ruth Poundwhite join me in the Facebook group or my personal favorite, sign up to my newsletter, Letters to Quietly Ambitious Humans. Just go to ruthpoundwhite.com forward slash newsletter to subscribe and keep doing what you're doing because your work really does matter.